0: Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. The purpose of this series is truly to um, help us understand that many of us all throughout life can understand a lot about God. We can hear about God and Maybe we went to a Catholic church when we were little, or maybe we went to an a evangelical church, or maybe we didn't go to church at all, and we realize that we know a lot about God. We understand a lot about who God is, and we understand a lot, about, a lot about the ideas and the nature of God, some good, some bad. But in most cases, many of us, even though we know a lot about God, may not truly have a relationship with God. And so that's the point of this series, is to try to help you understand a relationship with God. Vince, you can turn me up in here. That'd be awesome, buddy. Thanks. And uh, we're going to have a great time today talking about one of the most uh, well-known verses in the, in the Bible. And if you are here today, and maybe you don't go to church very often or don't read the Bible very often or, or aren't aware of all the kind of environment you're in right now, that's okay. But I'm sure that you've heard this verse before in some movie at some grave site in a movie where someone's died and they're doing a uh, doing a gravesite uh, ceremony, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the scripture Psalms 23. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to read in this scripture in Psalms 23, and we're going to start right there in this verse, and then we're going to get going today. And I have no doubt you're going to be encouraged by today's message as we talk about the Lord is my shepherd. Let me just pray before we read this verse this morning. Uh, would you just mind closing your eyes and, and just praying with me today? Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you that, Father, when people learn not just about you, but actually experience you, Father, you transform lives. And, Lord, I know this because I've experienced it. I've experienced what it's like to have a transformed life. And that started, Lord, when I began to know you better. Now, as we talk today, Father, about the Lord, Lord, about how you are our shepherd, I pray for those in the room those in the room who who feel far from you, those in the room who feel broken, those in the room who are facing difficult circumstances in their life right now, Lord, and they sometimes can wonder, God, where are you? God, what's going on? God, why is life the way it is? And Lord, as we remind them that, Father, you are such a good shepherd, that you are such a good father, that you are such a good dad, that you are such a good God, that you pursue us and that you chase us and that you want a relationship with us and that, Lord, that today you would encourage the people in this room through the uh, the teaching of Scripture. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's read this together. In Psalms uh, 23, it says this, "'The Lord is my shepherd. "'I have all that I need. He "'He lets me rest in green meadows.'" He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close behind me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me, and you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Surely the goodness of the Lord and the unfailing love of our good shepherd will pursue you all the days of your life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, if we look at this verse, in order for you to truly understand the context of the Lord is my shepherd, and even this verse, it's important you first understand what's happening around when David the, the, the author wrote this verse. And so often when we look at Psalms, we have to understand that th- Psalms often are not a, th- a doctrinal verses. They're often not where we get theology or, or doctrine. We get into theology when we understand about God, but when it comes to different deep theological matters, we generally, the Psalms actually is more of a song, just like James today played on the guitar and sang out loud and was being impacted by the song today. That's how David did. He walked into the church and he got his guitar out and this Songs he was singing were pleased to God. We were crying out to God, worshiping to God during a season of difficulty and challenge in his life. And he began to play and he began to write choruses and verses and he began to write this song. And as he began to sing this song out loud, it was almost as though he was crying out to God to help him. And so This song is a way for you and I to understand that when you are in a difficult hardship in your life, this song can be sung in your car, in your your home, wherever you are. You can begin to sing this song or read this psalm knowing that David sang this song during a very difficult season of his life if we look at the progression of Psalms chapter 22 to Psalm chapter 24, Psalms chapter 22 is a prophetic uh, utterance about the crucifixion of Christ. If you read it, Jesus actually uttered many of the same statements that are used all the way over in the Gospels. And and Psalms 22 talks about the crucifixion. It's, It's about the death. It's about the tragedy. It's about the difficulty. It's something that terrible that happens and Psalms 24 is a prophetic picture of the uh, of the coming of Christ of the resurrection of Christ talking about how he he comes in the full glory of his splendor and the greatness of God and so we have a a tragedy or the crucifixion and we've got the 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 resurrection from the dead the victory the, the tragedy and the difficulty and the hardship of Psalms 22 and the victory and the blessing and the resurrection of Psalms 23 And now we come to Psalms 23, which is the valley, the place where you're laid in the grave and dead between difficulty and breakthrough, between uh, tragedy and triumph. It's the moment of your life, the valley of the shadow of death of the darkness in your life when you're stuck in the middle between the difficulty that you're facing and the breakthrough that God promises in your life. Psalms 23 gives us a picture of what it looks like to live in a world where things are constantly happening to us that don't make any sense. We're living in the valley of Psalms 23, the valley of the shadow of darkness, the valley of the shadow of death knowing that God will bring resurrection, knowing that God will bring breakthrough, knowing that God's word says that he will conquer all of my enemies and that he will heal all of my diseases and that he will break through in my life. I know that Psalms 24 is coming, but I am living in Psalms 23. The the verse here is that the idea that in this valley of the shadow of death, we understand that God sustains us in this valley. There's a valley that you're in. And I want you to hear me today. The only way for you to experience Psalms 24 is you have to start with Psalms 22. A tragedy, a difficulty, a hardship. Something happens in your life that doesn't make any sense. A divorce, a bankruptcy, a relationship gone bad, something not right, something gone tragically wrong. And all of a sudden you find you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death in order to get to the triumph and the blessing and the resurrection. I'm sorry to tell you, but that is just how our life works. And as we learn, as we live in this valley, we have to understand from this verse in Psalms 23 what it is that God is teaching us about himself and what it is David wants us to understand in this verse today. David was going through a tragedy, so this is kind of the story of what was happening during this time. David was having a really hard time with his son Absalom, so there's a time in the scripture when a man named uh, Amnon was David's, David's son. And David had multiple wives and concubines. And I'm not going to spend time giving you, uh, giving you the theological reasons why that's right or wrong today. You just be okay with it and just rest in the fact that David had a lot of wives, okay? A lot of children too. And uh, he had, uh, David had different wives and a specific wife gave birth to Amnon. And then another wife gave birth to Absalom and, uh, and Tamar. And, and one day uh, Amnon took a liking to his half-sister Tamar and raped her. And so David found out about this and did nothing. He didn't address it. He didn't get uh, Amnon in trouble. Nothing happened. He just kind of left it passively, never dealt with that sin. And many years later, Absalom was so upset that his sister had been raped by his half-brother. He gathered together all of his brothers and sisters for a big party, maybe two or three years later. And he invited King David, and King David said he, he wouldn't come, and the moms wouldn't come. And so that was just brothers and sisters hanging out. And when they came together, they gathered around the table. And when they gathered around the table, uh, Absalom had given his servants instructions that when everyone sits down at the table, I want you to murder Amnon in front of everybody. And so Amnon walked up to the table, and they murdered him right then and there. And so David not only had a brother and sister whose daughter had been raped, a son who had raped the daughter, but now his son had been murdered by his other son and Absalom ran away to another nearby city and for several years never talked to his father again. And here's David grieving over the fact that his daughter had been raped, that his son had been murdered, that his son murdered his son, and that now all of these things were going to happen. There's so much loss happening in David's life. For four years, Absalom stayed in that distant land. And finally, Joab, David's bodyguard, said, okay, I need to go help my king out because he's grieving the fact that he no longer sees Absalom. So he went and got Absalom, and he brought him back to the city. And here they're living together, but David won't see Absalom yet because David can't get over the fact that he had killed Absalom his son. It just was so deeply rooted in his heart. He was so broken and so hurting. And so finally, after many years, Absalom was allowed to come into the presence of the king. And King David looked at Absalom and they had a moment where there must have been some sort of reconciliation and things were better again. But Absalom was never able to see King David ever again. And Absalom got it in his heart. This is called the Absalom spirit, that he wanted to steal the kingdom from King David. So for four years, every single day, Absalom would stand outside the city gates. And when people would walk to the gates with their problems, say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a leader and have a king in our, th- in, our in our city who would actually see you like right away and deal with your problems and give you all of their attention? Wouldn't it be so wonderful if we could have a king and a judge who would judge you right now and help you right now? And the people would bow down before Absalom and he would stand them up and he would bow down. Absalom and kiss their ring to make them feel so powerful and exclusive. And after four years, years finally King Absalom decided across all of Israel their hearts had been turned to Absalom as king and they declared Absalom as king and now David found out about this and he was eradicated from the the palace and so David grabbed his entire family he left his 16 concubines yeah deal with that one later too he left his 16 concubines in the temple and he ran out of the place and he went to the desert and now David is out living in the desert with his entire family and his son who murdered his other son for raping his daughter is now living in the desert because his son had overtaken his kingdom and he mustered all the troops of Israel and all the troops of Israel will know after one man named David. David is having a tough day. And this whole entire nation of Israel is now after David. One man they want to kill is David. And David's closest companions, his closest advisor, decided to switch ranks and go with Absalom. And so he went with Absalom. David's his closest advisor betrayed David and went with his son, Absalom. And while he's with Absalom, he began to give him advice. And God frustrated that advice. And so his advisor, his closest advisor, went into his house and hung himself because his, his advice was being frustrated to the king. And then another man came and David helped this young crippled boy uh, who was uh, in the line of Saul. And this young crippled boy had a servant named Ziba. And Ziba came to David, give me all of his possessions. And so David graciously gave Ziba all of his possessions to come to find out that Ziba was lying through his teeth and taking advantage of David. And now David had had given all the possessions of this young crippled boy to this, this devious, seducing Ziba. And finally, at the very end of this whole story, As David is walking to the desert, there's a man named Shimei who got it in his heart to throw rocks at David. While he's walking along, he's throwing rocks at him saying, you're a murderer. You're a scoundrel. You stole my family's kingship. You're a murderer and a scoundrel. And they threw rocks at him. And finally, Absalom sent the battle of Israel after David. And he had really long hair. He only cut his hair once a year. (laughs) Down to his toes. He's riding through the forest, going after his father's kingdom. His hair gets caught up in all the trees as he's going along. And the mule keeps going, and Absalom didn't. And Joab, David's bodyguard, heard that this had happened. And so David said, Be gentle with my son, just be gracious to him, don't murder him. Like, just we're gonna work through this. And Joab sent assassins after him and stabbed him in the heart three times with three different knives. And they butchered that young boy's body and they threw him in the deepest, deepest pit of the desert of the forest. Now that's a stinking bad day. His closest advisors had turned on him. He had lost his son, his daughter had been raped. His closest friends abandoned him. He's off in the desert believing that, God, you called me to be the king. And now my son is stabbing me in the back. That is a bad day. And that is amongst where David wrote this psalm, writing this story, writing this in this season. David was going through a very, very difficult, challenging season in his life. He was facing something difficult that he had never experienced before and this was a difficult season for him, a challenging season for him. And so when we read the Psalms 23, often we want the picture to look something like this. A beautiful, serene, peaceful countryside. I would like blue skies, but I couldn't find one, so just deal with this clouds, but it's idyllic, and it's beautiful, and it's green, and the sheep are so safe, and it's peaceful, and the shepherd's just over on the side meditating while he thinks beyond yonder, and things are just wonderful, but I just got to tell you today, I want this to be the picture, but how many of us know life is just not like that? Life isn't peaceful and and idyllic. And it's not just this serene moment where we just walk along water and hoo-hoo, this is pancakes and cupcakes. I love life. This is fantastic. I don't got any finance problems. My marriage is perfect. My kids are absolutely obedient, thanks to the Lord. Things are just fantastic. I got no problems. Things are amazing. Last time I played the lottery, I won. Things were fantastic. Like, this is so great. Life is so good. That is not how life is. Life is full of loss and difficulty, and disappointment, and hardship. Life is full of financial losses, and marriage losses, and divorce, and difficulty. Life is full of temptation to sin, sexual sin. Life is full of temptation to sin through pride and arrogance, through bad business dealings. Life is just not like that. And David, when he wrote this verse, he was talking about a young man. He was identifying himself as one of those sheep in that pasture. He was identifying himself as one of those sheep who was lost and broken and hurting and wandering. And if we can leave this scene for a moment and we go over the top of that hill and there's no water, there's no trees. and The shepherd is on the other side of that hill searching for all the lost and broken sheep. He's looking for the sheep that are stuck in the thicket and he's looking for the sheep who've broken their leg and fallen in the stream and he's looking for the sheep and he's wandering around aimlessly with tears in his eyes searching for these young, young lambs who've been lost and are broken and hurting and discouraged. That is where David was in the story. David is not in this here He's over the other side, waiting for the great shepherd to come and gather him and find him and bring him in because he is absolutely broken. David is not the picture of perfection. Is the man who, who the Bible says, was a man who fulfilled the call of God in his generation, was a man after God's own heart. When I read about David, I realize that he was a good man, but he was a broken sheep. Psalm 69, look at this. Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. This is a man after God's own heart saying, God, you know exactly every area of sin in my life. I am a failure. I fall short. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I make mistakes. Look what he says. You know of my shame, my scorn and disgrace and You see, all that my enemies are doing, their insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. His heart is broken. He's in despair. If only one person would show some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me, but instead they give me poison for food and they offer me sour wine for my thirst. Does that sound like a healthy sheep to you? Does that sound like somebody who is whole and together and perfect? Look at this verse in Psalms 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? I believe prophetically there's people in the room who are feeling this right now. God, I've gone through the motions, I've said the prayers. I've gone to church. I've given my life to you. I've dedicated my heart to you. I do all these things, but God, I'm still having struggle. I'm still being tempted. I'm still going through hardship. Things aren't breaking through. My body isn't getting better. My finances aren't being restored. My marriage isn't getting right. God, how long will it be like this? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every single day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand and turn and answer me, O oh God? Restore the sparkle to my eyes. I love that. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Psalms 42, 5, and 6. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Now I'm deeply discouraged. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? And why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones and they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. How long, oh God? Will I struggle with this disconnection from you? How long, God, will I feel abandoned? How long, God, will I not get a job? How long, God, will my finances not come through? How long will my wife and I fight like dogs? How long, how long, how long, oh God, how long will this happen in my life? How long until you answer my prayer, God? And see, David here knew he needed a great shepherd. You know, it's even interesting that even Jesus prayed this prayer in Psalms 20, Matthew 27. Jesus himself, about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, I want to make a statement to you. We can't, you can't tell me that Christian people don't experience this. You can't tell me that even the most devout followers of Jesus... I've been a pastor for 17 years, and I'm not any better than anybody else in this room, but it's my job to read the Bible. (laughs) It's my job to study and pray. Christians deal with these things. They deal with this sense of loss and brokenness and hurting and pain. We like to pretend like we don't feel it because we want to be full of faith. Hallelujah. Oh, I got faith. Well, that's good. You got faith, but you still feel like crap. We got all these things we say at church, and all these Christian things we say, which are all true. Thank the Lord, because 24 Psalms 24 is coming in your life. But right now, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, and I feel like I feel crummy. Man, I, I had a loss of life, or I lost a loved one, or uh, finances are like. I, I pray, I fast, I tithe, I give, I share, I ask. I keep doing all the right things, all the right things, and something doesn't seem to break in my life. This is the valley of the shadow of death. This is what you and I experience. You know what I do? I tend to ask myself this question: What did I do wrong? How many of you are with me when you start asking, "Where have I failed God?" and "Where have I done wrong?" And this is a big one for me. Are people mad at me? These people must hate me. Oh, that person must not like me, or I must have done something wrong. I go to my wife, did I do something wrong? And then, and, then I, and then I go to everybody I can think of, like, will you forgive me? And I'm sorry, like, maybe this will fix the problem. You know, and then we try to fix it, we try to mend it, and we try to do all these things to try to make it right, and all these different things. Okay, if I do this, and I do this, and I go there, and I apologize, and say that, and make this happen. If I do this right ingredients, the right formula, then everything's just gonna be better. And then you do it all, and guess what? It doesn't get better. See, this is what life is really all about. Psalms 12, David was just prophesied that he was going to be the king. Samuel came to him and poured oil on his head. And then we see a picture in Psalms 12 of David. He was broke, he was homeless, and his men were so poor, they had to go steal from other nations. I bet you David stopped for a minute and thought, I think Samuel's a false prophet. <laughs> I think Samuel missed it. He meant to pour oil on the guy next to me, because I'm not going to be king. Look at my life. I'm not going to be all those things that Pastor Ryan says I'm going to be. and I'm not going to be all those prophetic words or prophesied over my life. And man, my mom used to say all these really nice things about me, but I'm not going to be those things. There's no way. Look at my life. Look at my sin. Look at my temptation. Look at my difficulty. Look at all the things I'm facing. I'll never get to Psalms 24. But I want you to know that those who are in that valley, we have a great shepherd who comes to guide us, love us, Care for us. But sometimes we wander. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalms 119. If you read Psalms 119, it's beautiful, this majestic declarations of who God is, majestic declarations of God's word and how good God is, 176 verses long. But for 175 verses, we see David declaring the goodness, the faithfulness, and the greatness of God. And David ends this amazing, this amazing chapter with the most interesting of verses. In Psalms 119, 176, he says this, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. The Bible teaches us in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have all left God's path to follow our own. See, this is the issue where many of us on our journey towards God, in this season of Psalms 23, we experience a loss of a job, a difficulty in our life, and what happens is, and I'll be the first one to tell you this happens, we we fall out of love with God. We begin to believe that God doesn't love me anymore. We get into a place where we forget that our great shepherd, he's pursuing us and he loves us and he cares for us and he gave his life for us and he's doing whatever he can to get to us. But sometimes when experiences of life derail us, what happens is, is we fall out of love. We forget, like lost sheep, we stray away. We forget that God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. We forget that he died for us, we forget that he provoked, we just forget, we just stray, we're just like lost sheep, straying away, just God, like I'm a Christian, and I serve you, but you know what, too many bad things have happened in my life, to believe that that Bible, and that book is true, too many difficult things have happened, for me to accept, that you are who you say that you are, and we like sheep, stray away, this is where I believe many people are, specifically in North America, where we have such blessings in our life and we're so provided for and we you know the truth is in Calgary a lot of us don't even need God cuz we're so blessed with finances or blessed with house or blessed with friendships or blessed in these environments and we for, we just it's easy for us just to forget that we are lost broken sheep who need the shepherd to come once again and lavish his love We fall out of love. We're like lost sheep, and we stray. The great part about this verse is that Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the great shepherd. In John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. First Peter five four, and when the chief shepherd appears, Hebrews thirteen twenty, he calls himself the great shepherd. We have to understand something about Jesus. He sees your frailty. He sees your doubt. He sees your unbelief. He sees your sin. You don't think your sin is hidden? You think your sin is hidden from God? Even the worst of sinners cannot hide their sin from God and yet he still loves you and yet still he pursues you and yet still he comes after you. And yet still he's looking for you. You think God's left you, but I'm here to tell you today that our good shepherd, our great shepherd, he knows your frailty. He knows your weakness. He knows your shortcomings. He knows where you fell out of love with him. He knows when you tried to have that child and it didn't pan out. He knows when you tried to have that business dealing and the whole thing fell apart and your relationship with that person fell apart. He knows that when you started in that relationship with that person that you thought that this was the one and that it all fell apart. He knows that you wanted to go be an Sees missionary or start a new ministry and you tried and the whole thing fell apart he knows exactly where you're at in your life he knows your frailties he knows your weaknesses he knows your shortcomings he knows your sin he knows all of those things and guess what he still is madly in love with you of the most theological thing that i can say of any theological doctrinal thing that i can say to you today that i want you to get is that jesus loves you it sounds so cliche, doesn't it? We hear it so often, don't we? But the reality is, is that He loves you. And guess what? He loves you despite your crap. He loves you despite your bad attitude. He loves you despite the fact that you don't got any faith. He loves you despite the fact that you serve Him one day and don't the next day. And then you serve Him on a Tuesday and not to four Tuesdays from then. He loves you despite that. He gives His entire life that you might have a relationship with Him. He cares for you. And you keep going over that stinking mountain. You get in the green pasture. And he's like, what are you doing? Why did you go back over to the other side of the mountain again? Why are you there? But it's okay, son. It's all right. I'm gonna come get you. He climbs over that hill. Oh, he's stuck in the thicket again. Here we go. Okay, get out of that thicket. It's all right. I know you got a broken leg. It's all right. And what he does is he brings you along, and he mends you, and he loves you, He cares for you. He's patient with you when you stray away, and you think that. God doesn't love you and he's mad at you and he doesn't like you. That's not true. He loves you so much. The great shepherd, Jehovah-Raha, or Rohi, he loves you. And David needed to hear that because David had lost his son, two sons. His daughter had been raped by his son. His closest confidence had abandoned him. Everywhere he turned, people were turning their backs on him. He was ran out of the the very promises of God for his life, the very thing that God promised that he should have. He was ran out of it by his own son. He needed to hear God come and say, Son, I love you. I know life sucks right now, but I want you to know that I love you. I know there's been loss in your life, but I want you to know that I love you. I know you can't get that job and I know your marriage isn't perfect and I know you feel discouraged and I know that you feel insecure and I know that you feel lost and I know you don't know what to do next with your life but I love you. That is the great shepherd. He comes with care. And love, and he says, I don't care where you've been or what you've done or what you said or how you acted or how many children you have from other people or the sins you've been or the divorce you've been through or the hardships. I just love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. The great shepherd in David needed to hear this message. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is your shepherd. He said he's mine. He's mine the moment you can allow him to be your shepherd, do you understand the ramifications of this in Scripture? It says there's peace, and through the darkest valley, he's with me, and I'm pursued by love constantly, and no matter where happens in my life, God is present with me. When he becomes your shepherd, it transforms your life, because you begin to experience the love of the Father like never before. He doesn't just want to be a shepherd in your life. He doesn't just want to be your husband's shepherd or your kid's shepherd or your grandfather's shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to find you right now where you're at, broken and hurting and lost and sinful and disgusted with your own choices. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't even accept it. And you feel selfish and self-loathing and you're depressed and you're anxious and concerned. And you say, why would God ever want me? And he says, that's exactly what I want. I didn't come for those who were healthy. I came for those that were broken. The shepherd searches for you. He looks for you. Look what happens when we, we accept him as our shepherd, he causes you to rest and he leads you to peaceful places and he renews your strength. He guides you along right paths that will bring honor to him. Look at that. Not just right paths that bring honor to you, right paths to honor him. He, he's beside you. He protects you honors you. He blesses you. His goodness and love pursues you, but here's the caveat. Here's the catch. He has to be your shepherd. I want you to catch this. As a a pastor, I want you to get this. Many of you are broken and bitter. This place is a hospital for people who've been beat up by bad shepherds. Many of you today are Christians and you serve the Lord and you've been in church environments where the shepherd has been terrible to you. Remember you've been in a a job or a father, actual natural father or mother or relationship and you just haven't experienced the care and the grace and the love of the good shepherd. And I want you to know today that these are the things he wants to become your shepherd. We see in scripture here that there's some incredible things that happen for our life when he becomes our shepherd. Verse 23 2 says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Our shepherd comes to compel you to stop so you can rest. When you're wandering sheep and you feel disgusted with your own sin and you feel shame and guilt and you feel distant from God, what we normally want to do is we want to go hide in the corner and lick our wounds. We don't want to be around people, my goodness, especially Christian folks because they're always so faith-filled and talking about good stuff. I want to hear that. We also put ourselves in positions where we isolate ourselves and we want to be alone and we want to fix our own wounds, we want to fix our own problems, we want to fix our own thing. When he becomes your shepherd, what he does is he actually, that scripture, that word makes, actually means he compels you. He actually forces you. He causes you to rest. That you can experience his love. We are busy people. We just keep moving. We just keep going. If you're part of the church, we just work, work, work. If you're part of life, you work, work, work. If you're part of a job, you work, work, work. We constantly work. Go, go, go. And what the shepherd does is just, just, just stop. Just, just stop trying so hard. Stop trying to earn my love. Stop trying to do all these things out of religion because you think that it makes me happy because none of those things actually make me happy unless you stop and cease trying so hard to get in my good book. You're already in the good book. You're already loved. I already care for you. I already love you. Just Stop and enjoy it. Stop working so hard to get God to a place where He loves you. God, I just got to read my Bible more because I want you to love me. He already loves you. He just wants you to stop for a minute, stop that little brain of yours that keeps turning and turning trying to figure it all out and try to rationalize the theological position of different things. I don't like how that thing's did and that thing and this thing up, but I can't rationalize this in the scripture. What does it say that for? And it says that for? Oh, I can't believe it. Just get over that jar. Just stop and just accept the fact that God, our Father loves you. The Great Shepherd loves you. Stop. And rest. in the fact that our God loves us so much leads you to still waters i have this i'm going to let you in a little bit of an intimate moment with me and my father Uh, i always have these little moments where when i'm feeling really down psalms 23 moments i have these moments where i walk along this stream and there's a bridge and i step over this bridge and i sit on this lonely path under streams and every single time guess what happens i sense god sitting right next to me that's what happens when he becomes your shepherd my shepherd guess what the bible says that though even though i walk through the darkest valley he sits right beside me he's this this in the Uh, jewish rabbis have coined this non-biblical term called the shekinah glory of god it's whenever there's a visitation in scripture where god comes down in flesh and what david is promising you here is that when you're in the darkest valley of your life guess what if you make him your shepherd he comes and sits right next to you god himself makes residence and dwells among you and sits next to you and he puts your arm around you just like he does to me and says ryan how you doing buddy Well, God, I'm feeling pretty beat up today. Son, I want you to know that I love you. Ryan, you could never preach another sermon. You could never reach out to another person. You could never pray another prayer. You could never do one more good thing for me. And guess what, Ryan? Guess what, buddy? I love you. I accept you. I care for you. You're okay, son. You're all right. You're okay. Like, I love you. I like you just the way that you are. I like the way you talk, and I like the way you smell. And I like you even on the days when you're a real grumpy pants in the morning. I accept that. I like I like you just the way that you are, son. Because when we make him our shepherd, God's should kind of glory. He visits you and will sit right next to you. And lastly, when he becomes your shepherd, we see something that I feel is incredibly, overwhelmingly powerful. Surely, in verse 6, your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. How many of you had those days where you just feel like life's not worth living any longer? Have you ever had those moments? Can I just see a show hands where you feel like, I just don't feel like life's worth very much. Only six honest people, fantastic. You get those moments in your life where you just feel like, what am I doing? I don't feel like there's any value. I don't feel like there's any purpose for my life. And maybe your relationship with your spouse is eh. Maybe your kids aren't really serving the Lord and it's just like, ah. Maybe your finances are in just shambles. And you just look at your life and you think, is this it? Is this what my life's all about? Is this my legacy? These are the moments what I remember. I have actually have a God behind me who is actually chasing after me. As I'm wandering around, is this it? Is this where I'm going to find my fulfillment in life? Oh, no, not there. Okay, is this it? Is it this addiction or this relationship or is it this thing or that job or that career? Or, oh, no, it's this this self-help thing or oh, no, it's that drug or hey, that's how I'm doing this. He's right behind me saying, son, 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 come here. No, 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 come back. Come back. I, I I'm pursuing you with my love. Stop. Just stop for a minute. Let me shower my love on you. No, 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 don't go there. It's okay. It's okay. Constantly. All oh, my stinking life. He's chasing me as I wander about this world, trying to figure it out. And eventually he grabs you and he just stops you. And he says, I love you. I have been pursuing you all the days of your life and I will never stop pursuing you with my love. No matter how far you've gone, I will continually relentlessly pursue you with my love. I won't quit. I won't stop. Even when you've created the biggest, largest, atrocious sin and you find yourself in the jail cell being accused of the most grossest, disgusting sin, guess what? God even comes to the grossest of sinners like like me. He says, I love you, son. I pursued you all the days of your life. Look at this last verse this morning as we end our time today. Psalms 42.8, David wrote this. Each day The Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. This is the very, very thing that when the good shepherd comes, when Jehovah Raha comes and he becomes my shepherd, I begin to experience a relationship with God I've never had before. And this is what concerns me is there's so many people who go to church that don't have a relationship with the good shepherd. He just loves you so much and we just come and we do our job and our routine and we think about all these theological nuances and we complicate the whole thing and God just says, stop it. I love you so much. my life for you. I came to earth as God. I rejected the idea of God and I came to earth as a human and I was nailed to a cross and I was buried for three days for you. I carried your sin and your atrocities and your iniquity and your loss and your pain. I carried that on my back for you. When you experience that, shepherd, I want you to experience Jehovah-Raha. I want you to have a relationship with the Good Shepherd, and His name is Jesus. He is the Chief Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Great Shepherd. And you can actually have a life-giving relationship with Him right now. You may have been in church for a long time, and you said, I've felt the power of the Spirit. Well, that's fantastic. But do you have a relationship with Him today? Right now, in this moment, do you, even as a Christian, have a relationship with Jesus? gather you, to care for you, to love you, give you grace, mend your broken bones, mend your broken heart. He wants to heal you and transform you. He wants to bring you back to the flock again. That's the good shepherd that I serve. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we end our time? Would you close your eyes with me for a moment this morning, just to create an atmosphere for people to respond today. With every eye closed in this room, if you're here today. And I'm going to change up this this question a little bit so you can understand what I'm asking. With every eye closed for the sake of just confidentiality, I guess. You're here today and you say, Ryan, firstly, I am not a Christian. I've never been a Christian, but I'd like to be today. I'd like to give my life to Jesus, I'd like to know this good shepherd. You're here today and you say, Ryan, I don't have a relationship with him. And you've never been a follower of Jesus Christ. And today you say, man, I saw Harrison's baptism. And man, I hear these words today. And I want to give my life to the Lord. Would you just place your hand in the air really quick? I won't embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm praying for today. Just put your hand in the air. Come on, amen. Come on, anybody else want to accept Jesus today? Raise your hand just real quick. Today I'm going to add a second question to this. You're here today and you say, Ryan, I am a Christian. I've been in church for a long time, Ryan. But I don't think I have a relationship. I don't think the Lord is actually my shepherd. And I want, Ryan, what, what, what you express today. I want that relationship today. Come on, if that's you all across the room, I want you to place your hand in the air really quick so I can see who I'm praying for today. Come on, place your hand in the air. Say, Ryan, I want that relationship today. Even if you're a Christian today, come on, put your hand in the air. Let me see it real quick. Come on, thank the Lord, amen. Come on, church, I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to say a prayer today. And during this prayer, what you're going to do is you're going to begin to make some declarations about your relationship with God. And I want every single person in the room today to join me as we pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. Come on, real loud, church. I come to you this morning. I ask you to be my great shepherd. Will you come right now and forgive me of my sins heal my broken heart i've wandered from you and i want to come home today i acknowledge that you are god you're the lord of my life and i give my heart to you in the powerful name of jesus christ amen thank you for listening to our love city church podcast visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.